0: Today, I'm speaking with Ronan Leonard, co-founder of Transform.io. It's a disruptive management consultancy company helping mid-sized healthcare or health tech organizations discover and align their self, their business needs, and their worldviews around meaning and purpose. Ronan shares the background reasons why paying attention to beliefs and concerns of customers and team members can offer real competitive advantages in an ever-changing and complex world. We talk about values, ethos, vision, and why these are keys to forming an essential relationship with your customers and team members. This episode will give you a great overview of how innovative management consultancy combined with AI can help you reimagine your business and transform your customers into advocates and add a ton of value in the process. Let's jump in. Well, hey there, Ronan. Uh, Thanks for making the time today. How are you doing?
1: I do very well. Thanks, Gianni, for having me on the show.
0: Look, before we get into what you're currently doing, I wanted to uh, just give you an opportunity to tell us a little bit about your background. You've had a very interesting background over the last 30 plus years or thereabouts. Tell us a little bit about, I guess, the key points that got you to where you are today.
1: Yeah, well, for me, it's been an anti-career. I've never had any kind (laughs) of, I want to do this, I want to do that. Throughout my career, as if you still want to call it that, is that I've always kind of quit jobs that I haven't liked. I've looked and said, do I see myself here in five, five, ten years time? Now, the answer is no. I'm looking to get out as quickly as possible because so many people settle a job or a career that they end up going, I, know, I wasted my life. I hated this. It took me a decade to get out of here. So in some intuitively way, I knew that. Very early on, I quit a couple of jobs and I got a job working on cruise ships, traveling the world. And then the ship I was on sunk in this huge Force 12 gale off the coast of South Africa. Like an idiot, I went back to work on it for another eight, nine years because I figured, well, that was probably about the worst thing could possibly happen. I think it's going to be okay and likely to happen twice. So I did that for almost a decade, met my lovely wife emigrated here to Australia because I'm originally from the UK. So I sunk my life savings into a business that I had no business acumen, didn't know what I was doing, just knew that I had uh, I wanted to do do something and, and started this events business that scaled from one event a year to 300, sold that, and then really got into uh, this current business through a, a mentor of mine as I was looking to create more person meaning in, in what I do and also helping others. So that's a brief summary of how I got up where I am today.
0: The cruise ship incident, you're a a little bit of a hero, as I understand it. There's apparently some uh, video on YouTube that talks to some of the effort you put into saving some of your teammates and uh, some of the passengers on that sinking of the ship.
1: Yeah, it's a a lesson in leadership in the fact that at the time, all the senior leaders, the the chief engineer, the the staff captain, the chief radio officer, the, the captain himself, all kind of abandoned their posts and left people who didn't know what they were doing myself talking to the cruise director the band leader the magician all these people that weren't even trained to do these things stepped up and 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 helped and luckily enough we we saved over 600 lives so it was a lesson in you don't need the the stripes on your shoulder which is a you know the authority within the cruise thing or you don't need to be the ceo or the the chief, whatever it is, to become a leader and step up when, when it's required.
0: I suppose it takes a crisis to uh, point out some of those uh, challenges or issues or gaps that exist within, uh, within an organisation uh, when it comes to uh, leadership, the benefits of actually using the crisis to actually be able to find things within yourself and also within the organisation to make improvements and grow from it. Would that be a good reflection? Yeah,
1: absolutely, and and there's no better example than than right now of of what's happening with huge disruption in every single market, and the the most resourceful organisations have pivoted, shifted, whatever you want to call it, looked at their market and said, okay, well we've been disrupted here. What can we do that's different, that's innovative, that has been forced on us rather than you know just kind of bunkering down and going, well, okay, there's nothing I can do about this. So that is always the definition of of how you can grow and you learn so much about yourself. I didn't know I could do that is one of the things that as uh, you know yourself, a small business owner, you might have this great dream, great idea, great purpose, but there is always that element of doubt. I didn't know I could do that until you're challenged and, and pushed and, and, and growing in ways you hadn't imagined.
0: I relate to that. There's been so many moments in my life where I haven't known what the next step is and uh, you have to draw from something within yourself that actually encourages you or, or perhaps um, forces you to take a step and then you keep moving forward and then you realise, ah, okay, so we've got through that. As time goes on, that starts to become a, a new habit where you can face the uncertain and you can actually be confident in yourself that you'll be able to respond to anything that gets thrown your way. And, of course, you've got to sort of surround yourself with um, with a culture that supports that type of thinking. I think that's got a lot to do with what you're doing with transform might be a good opportunity for you to explain what is Transformed.io and what do you hope to achieve with it?
1: Yeah, Yanni, exactly like you said, there there are pivotal moments in organisations, cultures, business, even outside of that, or things you do in your life where you bump up against a, a belief, which is normally a limiting belief. I could never do that. That's not for me. Uh, this is just how it's done around here in our organisation, whatever that is. That our beliefs uh, define uh, our results. So you said, talk about surrounding yourself with other people. That's You need people to test those beliefs, to test those assumptions, to get you thinking differently, that have meant or have been on that path before, whatever that looks like, that roadmap to allow you to 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 grow. So transform, what we do is we come and look at organizations and figure out where are the limiting beliefs, where are the gaps in the story they're telling themselves and where are even sometimes the willful blindness. They can see change coming, they know about it, but they're just unwilling to recognize it and change from that. So we look at really a holistic approach to an organization. We don't come in with a here are the seven secrets, blah, 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 here is the latest productivity tool you can use to do that. We're really looking at the core beliefs because every belief shapes the, the process, KPIs, everything you run in an organization are based on those beliefs. So we're looking to help you improve those beliefs and figure out where those gaps are. And then from there, you create the results and the different processes and what have you to get the results that you tell yourself you, you want. So that, that's what we do on a, on a high level.
0: With beliefs, is there a drawing on a field of knowledge, be it traditional or contemporary that helps transform.io work with an organization? to be able to identify those limiting belief systems and then to be able to work on them. Where does that come from, that identification process? It partly
1: comes from, or we've had quite a lot of success in, in just doing this and, and just testing everybody's assumptions. Everybody talks about working outside of the the box, but it's really hard to do on your own because that box is something you've created. So you, you're unlikely to be the best person to see beyond that. It's why coaching is booming. is why there's so many mentors out there is why people get in external people because otherwise they just can't see that, that box that they've created around themselves uh, so a great example is one of the organizations we worked with they were two years delayed on delivering a project they were they've been through three consultants and they just kind of kind of lost faith that they could do this we stepped in all we did is we looked at the team the team was good the design that they had was excellent as well and we just looked at the limiting beliefs about how they went about understanding what was required to create this new product. And as they tested all their assumptions and limiting beliefs, they were able to come up with new ways to look at exactly how to do that. And within six months, they created this product that had a patent market leader. And six months later, they got sold for $255 million and that we didn't change anything. We didn't change the management structure, and we didn't really change what the design was. We just helped them see beyond their thinking to allow them to, to truly create that product, which they kind of knew they had in them. They just didn't know how they get past those beliefs to actually deliver it.
0: There's a number of fields that are evolving, and I'm probably projecting a little bit in terms of the, the world I live in uh, all day, every day. You know, day. There's been a lot of evolution in the fields of behavioral science, for example, and understanding you know, human behavior. Uh, in different contexts. Does that pass through or are we drawing on things that are a little bit more ancient perhaps, things that are cover the span of uh, human history in terms of those innate knowings of uh, what the human being and the human condition is? How do we get into that?
1: In answer to your question, we back up what we do using artificial intelligence. So everything we know about humans and people are really become into a label. This person is adventurous or this person is curious or they're quite shy or they're risk adverse. Once you have that composite picture of people, they they really are just labels. Uh, Let's be honest, it's it's not necessarily science that we don't already know because we're only working with the parameters that we know. But once you can attach to those things to that, you can start to see the genomic level of how people interact with things. So we can get past their, their biases or their assumptions or Um, What we find is in a lot of organizations, when you do something like a survey, you get false positives because people are projecting how they want to put a result. So people install a lot of belief in net promoter scores, but net promoter scores are just a very small snapshot in time of people that know they're being watched and therefore almost want to give a different answer. It's why a lot of the surveys, when they do sort of customer focus groups, if it all took us to get seven people a room and say this is what the future of your business should run then everybody would do them. they'd be amazingly successful but but they're not so it's getting past those and looking at the genomic markers of who these people really are the what isness of it and when you can do that and you can combine that with with data uh, which is what um artificial intelligence does really well you're able to get beyond an expert trying to figure out what is the best result and, and use that data and, and those predictive ways of figuring out what kind of what works
0: let's bring it up to a higher level then and then sort of work down into that detail but there's a lot of emphasis in what you're doing around values ethos vision talk us through i guess the starting point for an organization whether it's a a health tech innovation that's developing or whether it's a health provider talk us through that those those values ethos and vision
1: Yeah, well, values, ethos, and vision normally start with the the founder of an organization. This is what I want. This is what I want to achieve. This is my purpose, my mission. Let's go out there in the world and create that. Underpinned by that, then, really is a business model. What does that look like? And and businesses, on its fundamental level, all they're really doing is getting a collection of people internally to solve a problem that someone has that they're willing to pay for. Very, very, very simple. To do more than that, for people to, to talk about even the value of what you do, the results you have, how do you create great culture and organization, all of that then comes down to ensuring that you are aligned with that purpose, the values, the mission, what you're trying to achieve, is everyone on board? And then from there, the bigger the gap, the less people are, are inclined to stay, so you get high turnover of staff. They're less likely to stay motivated in, in what you do, and especially now when we're talking about organizations where all of a sudden their employees, are, the majority of them are remote so how do you keep that connectedness to what you're trying to achieve? And that all ties down to, you know, do you see this as a company that uh, really live those values, that, that you're really aligned to their purpose, that you understand what they're trying to do and, and everybody's on board? And it's, again, it's not rocket science, but the closer you align all those people together, the more people uh, work hard at their job, exceed their expectations, really believe in the company and create that trust within those stations because mm-hmm. business is really just about trust. If you want to say, oh, I'll be in business in the next three, five years, you've got to know that you've built enough trust with your employees and your customers that are going to stay long-term. And the second you erode that trust, customers, it's easy for them to leave. It's easy for your best employees to go and work with someone else. So as you're creating that alignment to your purpose, your mission, your vision, your, your brand, what you're really doing is, is just ensuring that that trust is still there throughout that organization, that that people are attached to that and they're connected to the, those points, and and that's in its simplest form how you create great organizations that that create great results.
0: Yeah, and there are two really important groups, aren't there? There's the uh, group you call your customers, and the group you call your team or employees. Getting to know both of those groups, I would imagine, would be uh, a pretty important part of it. I know it is from my point of view in terms of how I've grown. Uh, business over the years, and that, not always by the way, in the earlier stages of my career, I, I didn't understand this, uh, but I did reach an epiphany where it's really key to actually do what I call uh, looking at it from the outside in, you know, rather than looking at it from the inside out. I think a lot of business and a lot of metrics and a lot of um, financial perspectives around how we run business tend to look at things from the inside out, and so it sort of distorts our perspective on who we're actually here to serve. Does that resonate with you at all? And is that sort of something that is generally applicable to most of the organisations that you work with? That in, in terms of the advice and guidance that that you provide?
1: Yes, so many companies are, are fixated with their own KPIs, you know, and even even right down to speaking to their customers, they're only ever asking them, okay, what do you think about us? Would you would you buy from us again? Would you recommend us? Are we doing a great job? It's all it's all me, 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 me. So it is incredibly. Self centered and and self centric about what you do. I know this is all about reimagining, reimagining healthcare. From us to reimagine, the more we can step inside what our our customers are thinking, believing, and and what their concerns are, the better we create a product, the better we close the gap between where we have our service and where our customers are actually moving and and shifting. Because the reality is, businesses. very slow to to react to their customers it's why every business goes bust eventually because they just don't stay relevant in terms of their market and the bigger the company the harder it is to turn around i liken it to a cruise ship i got trained on this not when the first ship sunk but afterwards when someone jumps off it takes half an hour for that ship to come back around now half an hour in in the the middle of the ocean is a lifetime for people so organizations are the same they figure out actually our customers of have moved away, their expectations have shifted, the the market shifted, and, and we talk about right now at the moment, every single market has shifted, right? Every single person on this planet has a different set of values, what's important to them, what they're scared of at the moment, because we're in this huge pandemic and you know we're facing recession, all of those things. So the more you can stay in tune with that market and 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 listen to them and be connected to them, the more chance you have of serving them, what they want, and and again, back to trust, they'll stay longer, they'll buy more, because they feel that you get them. Oh yeah, this company really gets me. And there aren't that many companies that that happens where they go, oh, the the customers are always saying, yeah, this this company really gets me. The values, the purpose, the customer service, what they do, I just get it. It's not down to the best tech, or the most innovative product, or the, the number one widget it's often down to that that intangible, that feeling of, of how they're felt when they're, when they're serviced. So yeah, in answer to your question, yeah, the, the more you can do that, the more you have a great organisation.
0: And one of the words you used there was um, connected, feeling that um, sense of connection uh, where a customer is feeling that you as a service provider are connected. Is that a concept that you can measure? Is it something that you can define and measure?
1: With the right tools,
0: absolutely, yes.
1: Yeah, it's we talk a lot and transform about the heart of business uh, because there are a lot of intellectual things that define a business we we often talk about strategy and all those things they're all intellectual concepts but when you look at great organizations and then you might try and reverse engineer what a company does you might look at your competitors and going you know why are they so much better than us why do they have so many more customers higher revenue higher um, lifetime value of a customer so you intellectually might try and figure out all those steps to work it out. But ultimately, that doesn't look at the, the heart of, of what these people are feeling. And if you can't replicate that or at least ensure that you're creating that connectedness, then again, you just have a transactionary business that people buy on you because you're the, you're the cheapest price. And we all know that that is a race to the bottom. If you're just the cheapest price, you've got to be really, really good at it because there's always someone will do a worse job at a cheaper price. So the more you create that connectedness, the more you create value within that organisation.
0: Is that a big part of what you aim to help organisations with? Is it establishing those metrics around what connection means and then building the organization's culture around that?
1: Yeah, we look to, to, to measure to what previously hadn't been measured. So it's just this um, idea that you can't track people's beliefs and concerns. And a concern, obviously, the bigger the, the pain point, the bigger people will pay for something. So your concerns for your customers or your constituents even internally have to be looked at and addressed because that's where you're solving their biggest concern. You're creating the most value and, you, and you'll get that, Ah, oh, yeah, you know, the relief of you've solved this problem for me. So absolutely, we look at that as, as the key marker of, to figure out how we can help that organization close that gap how we can address the beliefs and the concerns that that customer has and then that employee has and to close those gaps between where they are and where they need to be. Previously, this has been almost impossible to do. Uh, but now when you can touch some artificial intelligence around that, you can really map that journey out and help them understand in real time what people are responding to, where they're shifting, what, uh, what are the gaps you need to close and help you to do that.
0: This crosses over on a number of aspects of an organization. Uh, you know, I can I can hear the marketers, for example, sitting there talking about how they might relate to what a persona of a customer might actually represent to them and their organization. Uh, and then there would be the actual service delivery side, which might have the same view, but potentially um, a completely different view in terms of how that actually works. And use the term their mapping, as an example. So there's there's an evolution uh, around this kind of thinking at the moment around designing for humans and being human-centered in design. This is particularly relevant in digital healthcare, in particular, and designing those digital healthcare experiences. How do you see the development of that kind of profile of a customer? Is it what marketers think, which is just uh, narrowing it down to an avatar or a persona uh, and being very specific around the type of good or service that's being provided to that to that particular persona, or is it something else, something broader?
1: the The way we run it is is actually something more narrow than that. It's looking at the individual level, because a persona really only gives you uh, an assumption that this person who is thirty five to forty five, that lives in this suburb, that drives this kind of car, that has this qualification, may or may not buy from us. I was talking to a marketer the other day, and I said, uh, originally, to, to sell something, you needed to say four words, as seen on TV. Uh, 30, 40 years ago, that was enough to buy. Oh, I've seen, actually, yeah, that's a, now we've got incredibly more complex. So if you're talking about personas, you've got Google AdWords, and you've, you've got click-through rates, you've got um, impressions, you've got all of this data, but then it's almost impossible to imply that to an individual. Okay, someone clicked on something, so what? This person is in that in that range, maybe that means that more people in that range will buy it, but not necessarily, because you're really not looking at the beliefs and the concerns of that individual one. So how we map that out is that once we've identified those core triggers, the, the beliefs, the concerns, some of the core metrics of what people will, will genuinely respond to, we then start to look at on an individual basis, what is this person? What is their beliefs and their concerns? what's relevant to them? And then as a result, we're able to skew the, the conversations that, that personally address their, their beliefs, their concerns, their pain points, where they're at. So it's almost a one-to-one marketing model because you can identify the individual person and what they're responding to, as opposed to what we've done for the last 20 years is we've got much better at marketing all we've really done is shove people into this funnel, put 100 people in a funnel, send them the same message, and then expect, oh, our 3% come out and, and buy from us. But we got no idea what the other 97% did or what could possibly change to get them and make it more relevant to them. We just send another message and another message, and we have no composite picture of, of why really those 97% didn't buy. And it's why, traditionally now, the, the conversion rate is pretty much the same. And in fact, engagement rate in content as we're producing more and more content is falling off a cliff because people are kind of at that point now where they're, they're, the attention span's gone, they're being mass marketed, and they know once they're on an email list that that email that says the only personalization is dear whoever, the rest is just the same message to that hundred people. And it's just not relevant to that hundred. So d- does that answer your question?
0: To an extent, it 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 sort of provokes a couple more questions within me around that because you know the conventional wisdom is to be relatively focused in terms of the good or service that you provide. With so much uh, diversity in the community and so much uh, individuality, you're either going to be hyper focused on a very very small subset of the potential population, and you know when you think about healthcare as an example, that doesn't necessarily confine itself to a you know thirty to 38 year old who is part of a dual income you know, household and has uh, you know statistically 1.75 children or whatever the case is. You know it doesn't quite work that way health affects people in all sizes, shape, backgrounds, ethnicities and so on and so forth. It's very diverse. So that personalization makes a lot of sense, but on the same token, I could imagine business owners out there thinking, well how can we cater for everyone? How can we be so adaptive? So the type of ideas you're uh, talking about there, are they universally applicable, or is it different stages in a business's growth? Whether it's in startup, whether it's in early stage growth, maturing—you know—are there different ways to approach it, or is it sort of a, as a conceptual framework? It's it's a universal model.
1: The way we work is we need a certain amount of of touch points for it to be to be relevant. If you if you interviewed six people, you get six different potential answers to a to a question. interview 6000 you start to come up with a composite baseline and you've got the data that then then improves and and that all works on on numbers um ai in general just works on the more numbers it has the more it picks up the patterns and allows you to to weed out the false positives to weed out the assumptions and to do that so for small organizations the answer would be that you only really scale when something works really well you scale that up so for small organizations they have that ability anyway that to, to stay very close to their customer set anyway and really understand them it's only when bigger organizations just don't have the time to, to speak to them on on mass so it's that ability to to start to identify those you still have when we go back to we we're talking about earlier about the, the the purpose and the the vision and the connectedness that is still a, a composite picture of your average customers what are they responding to what are they connected to. But what I was saying at the same time, you have the ability to, to figure out where people are responding to individual messages and a composite picture of them and what's important to them. So it, it allows you to figure out your brand in general and, and your, your content and your strategy and your marketing and all those touch points and to make sense of them all. But then also, granularly, you can start to individually with the right messages and the right triggers and labels Figure out where that individual person is responding and what's important to them.
0: That certainly makes a lot of sense, especially that idea of having an an exact map of all those touch points that um, a customer, uh, whether it's an average customer or all customers, experience when they're interacting with you in any way, shape, or form. And then being able to actually get the data points from that uh, would be amazing. So behind uh, transform.io, Is there some AI going on there that you're also implementing as part of the transformation model that that you're bringing into organisations?
1: Yeah, the final part is to use AI because I think we we know through history is that experts, we rely heavily on experts, and then over time they prove to be wrong. Uh, There used to be experts in the horse trade, and then Henry Ford came along and said, well, I've got a better model of of transporting people. Uh, There's a great marketing book by Thomas Levitt who I think worked at Princeton or Harvard, and he calls it marketing myopia in the fact that railways didn't understand that their product is not delivering people across a rail, it was transporting people. And when they got fixed to rail, then cars overtook them. So what happens in every single market is we lose sight of what the customer wants and focus on our product and our service. And as a result, we, we fail to change through that. So that's just an idea of when you start to think about what really is important to your customer, how you stay from that. So with regards to, to, to AI, we don't come in as the expert and say, we've got all the answers. We just say, let's look at the, the core fundamental beliefs. Where we've got a way of mapping that. And then let's the data take over and figure out what's right and look for the patterns and, and work out because they can do that better than a human. So experts, most organizations struggle with is that when they hire somebody, so they might hire an external marketing company, for example, what they're hoping is that that expert they've hired is going to beat the average of the market or beat what they've already currently got and relying on that person to come in and go, I've I've got the answers to you. And as we know from working across any industry, any service, there comes a point where if this person truly was the expert and can beat the market by two, three times, then they'd be multimillionaires because they they transfer that across every company. And it doesn't happen, strategies and tactics change, that the market kind of, what something comes as new, then suddenly becomes passe and the market moves on. So that expert status moves in and out and it can be very hard to, to find that expert. What we're really saying every time we employ a consultant, a marketing person, a website designer, we're going, I hope this person, this expert, can beat the average the market. Otherwise, I might as well just stay where I'm at. So AI allows organizations to, to get beyond that expert and say, here's the data. We've, this is something that, almost as a human, it's impossible to get all that data and figure out what it means. So the AI component really helps us kind of understand this, this is the data.
0: That is uh, an incredible value proposition, you know, to be able to formulate at the speed of, let's say, internet speeds, gathering up all those data points and having this evolution in terms of specific sentiments and that uh, sense of connectedness that the needs of uh, the particular uh, customer that you're looking at and having such a rich view. I think that would be a lot of business owners dream to have that kind of uh, information available and especially if they could actually translate findings very responsibly, very quickly into improvements uh, in the way that they deliver the goods and services. Is that part of the art here? Is it? Uh, I, I'm hearing the science, but is it art as well in actually being able to keep the culture built around this type of idea where there's so much data potentially available to you to be able to make decisions and inform your decisions, but you also need to execute on it, right? You need to respond to it.
1: Yeah. The, the response really is, have you heard of the, the double loop strategy? No. Okay. So what normally happens is that um, an organization creates a, let's say they create a strategy and then the tactics behind that, and then they execute. And then when it fails, the first loop just goes back to the, the strategy. Oh, we need to try a different strategy. And then we need to find the different tactics around that. So that loop continues. A double loop means that you go further up and you look at, you really test the, the, the core assumptions and the beliefs. And that requires quite a bit of honesty to say, well, actually, look, you know, we we don't have it all figured out, or our assumptions are wrong, or what we believe needs to be fundamentally tested. And then when you work from there, that's again, looking at the root cause rather than the symptoms. And then you go, ah, actually, I can see that, you know, we're really not as good as we thought we are. We're really not as connected with our customers. Our product isn't as good as we, we, we think it is. And then from there, reimagining it coming down. So that double loop strategy allows you to constantly test your own assumptions, your own again, limiting beliefs and, and to figure out really um, where really where you're going wrong and, and to do that. Uh, so it requires a, a fierce amount of, of honesty, to to be honest, to go, well, let go of the ego and say, although my business might be turning over 10 million or 15 or whatever that looks like, or a half a million, um, there must be ways that I don't understand, or there must be something that, that can really help me with get to where i Or you just sit back and go, I'm all good, you know. I'm 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 really good at what I do. Um, I'm in my niche. I'm in my lane. Nothing's going to bother me. I don't need to test any of my assumptions. So there, that's where I see the difference. So we really have to work with people that are, really have that frank, honest openness to to explore where they went wrong. And I think you touched on it earlier, where you said you know you had kind of an epiphany yourself. Uh, I'm sure you've bumped up against those several times, where you're going, okay, well. I can my if my ego overruns, I'll end up just going like I'm all good. I've got it all sorted. Don't need to grow, um, or uh, I just don't need to change. And if you're talking about reimagining, which is what we, which is what the core of this program is, reimagining is constantly um, being okay. Well, I'm not afraid to to reinvent the company to to look into the future and have one eye on my existing customers and the other on okay, where's this heading? Because if I don't change. We all know that that that's where you end up, you know, taxis are a great example. There's there's thousands of examples of every single industry and company where they went, you know what, we're all okay now. We're, we're fine where we are uh, and we won't change. And then disruption comes and all of a sudden you've got no business.
0: Yes, I've gone through it many, many, many times personally and continue to do it. And in fact, I, I really appreciate that I go through a lot of self-reflection and a refinement uh, you know, in the early days of my business life, I had a lot of resistance to that because when you go through the education system and you attain some kind of status, you know, let's say you've got a title now that's associated with your degree, it connotes that there's some level of um, expertise there. So it's interesting you're using that terminology in this discussion, and then you put yourself in a leadership position, so you know you're you've got a team of people around you, and they've all got questions, and so you feel like you have to have all the answers. You may misinform people or perhaps mislead them in some ways, and I, I mean that in a um, in a leadership context, because you think you have to have all the answers. The ego is restricting you from perhaps letting go of that. So I'm not sure whether that's um, making sense to people listening, um, but in, in my personal journey, realizing that I didn't have to have all the answers, realizing that I didn't have to have direction 100% of the time, realizing that... There was a different role that I could play that could still lead, could still move in a direction, could still be indexed to a vision, but then create a, a very empowered uh, team of people around me who were dealing with making the decisions around the day-to-day needs of various departments that exist within within an organisation. It felt hard prior to making the discovery, but after then realising that, it just gets easier and it's um it's really great to actually not have to have all the answers. You know and kind of just uh, serve <laughs> serve the team yeah. in uh, you know in a facilitator role rather than in a prescriptive type of role. And I think a lot of a lot of small businesses would probably struggle with that, even if I haven't worded it in a way that they fully connect with, but I think I think a lot of small businesses find themselves in a position where they become the constraint and the restriction in terms of how that business is um operating. It's all built around what they think it should be rather than what the customers think it should be.
1: Which goes back to the limiting beliefs. Yes. Yeah. Look, let's be honest. Change is really hard. We as humans believe that once we have our house or our life or our business or our career or this point in time that this is us and we're, we're comfortable with that. And yet all our growth happens from from change, um, whatever that looks like. So, and, and we've all been massively changed in the last couple of months. Uh, so you kind of need to define that. So how you how you respond to change pretty much makes or breaks you. And that's a change in your, your outlook, your your thinking, your perspective, your your future customers, whatever that looks like it is constant, constant change. And that requires a quite a lot of courage and and b again, we talked about that 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 letting go of the ego to go, I haven't got it all figured out. I don't need to have figured it all out. I get other people in and I get advice from people and I uh, I network with the people. I find other ways that people can test my assumptions and figure out other stuff that I don't know and what's working and and you continue to evolve. And the second you stop evolving is the second that people start to to leave what you're doing because you haven't continued. So yeah, it's, it's, um, I hate to say it, there's no silver bullet. There's no magic formula. It's constant.
0: I think there's way too much assumption that just, uh, just putting a piece of technology in is going to make all the difference. Um, But without uh, the human beings actually evolving and moving, you know, and there's the evolution part is, you know, it's leadership. It's also got to do with um, continuous improvement at a learning level, uh, an appetite for it as well, not just uh, it's part of the job, um, but actually have a natural inclination towards and curiosity towards um, getting new insights, new knowledge, developing yourself individually. I I find it personally very rewarding. I'm a massive student of life and in my areas of, you know, day to day uh, business life as well, constantly learning. And I try and uh, look for that in people that are working within Core Plus and um, within the community of Health Tech X as well. It's very key to not just be static and say I've learned enough or I know enough or um, I'm happy with the way things are because uh, the world and customers and just never stop changing. There's always evolution happening.
1: Yeah, you have to stay relevant all the time. And and we used to have this luxury. You know, I started my business twenty years ago. So Took a decade before that. You were, you could back then you could start a new business you might have four or five years before you kind of got any serious competition especially if you created a specific niche or you go okay but nowadays you don't have that luxury the reality is that the second you kind of even invent something new you're going to get these copycats you're going to get people that are going to do something better than you so i hate to say it, it's it's almost relentless your ability to relevant and to stay relevant to internal people and, and external customers really depends on the fact that you don't have the latest tech, but you are constantly evolving and you have to continue to improve. You don't have the luxury of saying, Hey, I've got this great business model. I'm fine for the next five, 10 years. No worries. You just don't have that luxury. So you have to be always reimagining what is the next small part? What's the next step? What's the next step? And how can I continue to evolve, improve and stay relevant to my market and my
0: employees, I 100% agree with that. I often say that the word business is mispronounced; it should be pronounced busyness, because it is just a constant state of things to look at, monitor, change, adapt, correct, improve upon. Uh, it's just a, it's a, I think that word you used, relentless, absolutely uh, sums it up. And it's probably not for the faint-hearted either, because it can be um, it can be very challenging uh, if it uh, doesn't doesn't go well. But I suppose the good news is that. Um, Drawing upon your experience and your co-founder's experience, you've got an interesting model in the way that you uh, consult with Transform in that you're doing the consultation piece, but you've also got this system side, the AI that is being implemented to get all those data points built together. So that's quite unique. I don't run up against that uh, too often. Is that sort of a fortuitous confluence of events here where all the experience that you and your co-founders have and then concurrently this... Finally, coming of age of AI have finally intersected and and come together.
1: That's exactly right. I haven't thought about it too much. Uh, the, the founder of the business, Thomas White, has started sixteen different technology companies over the last four, forty years, and as a result, he's got this huge wealth of, of of knowledge, experience, and and they're all coming together. And and yes, you're right. Five years ago, we wouldn't be having this conversation because the soft skills that we tend to measure just aren't there before. And you will also find now, if you just look around, there are quite a number of large organizations now that are hiring data scientists because they're trying to make sense of all of this. Okay, well, I've got my Google and I've got Facebook and I've got my email system and I've got all these touch points, but what does it mean? How do I put this data together to make sense of it? Because I'm just, it it doesn't really speak together. None of it kind of gels. Click through rates has nothing to do with impressions and all all of those things. So, yeah, they're hiring data scientists to do that. So, yes, we've come at this very interesting inflection of time where people know that their organization to grow internally needs that better connection of their employees. and They need to ensure that they're, they're building that trust, that advocacy, that people are really connected to, to what they do. Millennials are now the largest number in the workforce, and they want to work for organizations that have a purpose, that have a mission, that have something other than, hey, we make a lot of money, okay, big deal. Especially with the state of the planet, the state of organization, the state of trust within government is at an all-time low. So they're looking for more meaning within their work because they're not finding it outside of that. So yes, it's a confluence of all of those things coming together and saying, we can actually help you measure those soft skills which five years ago you could never measure
0: that's evidence of you walking the talk where as a management consultancy you've actually adapted the idea of consultancy in line with expectations of your uh, customers we'll put some links in the uh, show notes uh, because you spelled the word transform T-R-N-S, form is there a, a particular brand story around that
1: i think the a wasn't available and <laughs> and actually a lot of people i'm you know it's like when you buy a car and then you see all of them everywhere uh, I, I've seen so many people kind of talk about transform at the moment. Anyway, transformation. So it, it seems to have become a bit of a buzzword. Uh, how do you transform it? How do you transform that? So that's that's why that uh, it's a slight play on words for that anyway. Yeah, transformation really is something everyone wants. And it's, it's it's not easy. If it was easy, everyone would be doing it. I always say this. You talk about business, same thing. If it's easy, everyone would be doing it. Not easy, but for the ones that are really those those curious you talked about earlier, the people that um, are forward thinking, the people that uh, are early adopters and everything, huge competitive advantage when you start to, to understand exactly what your customers want and move towards that or exactly where the gaps are in your organization and say, if I close those, productivity is going to go up. We're going to get more done. We're going to be able to execute on these goals that we want. So, yeah, it's, it's not for everyone. It's just for those, those purpose-driven innovators that go, you know what, I'm going to he- get ahead of the curve before in five years' time when everyone's doing it, then I'm, I'm, I am I'm have no competitive advantage.
0: We didn't have enough time today to sort of get into the three key things in your tagline there, which is about the self, the business, and the world. But I think you kind of um, have referenced a lot about meaning and purpose, and I think that's, that's important. It's just that you seem to also look at it from an individual's point of view, a team's point of view, a customer's point of view, an organization's point of view, a leadership, a board of directors, just getting all of those alignments in place. Is that right? Did I understand that?
1: Yeah, if we can transform the CEO to to, to think about, about those, those core values all the way through the organization and for their customers, then they have that ripple effect and everybody in the organization creates more alignment, more trust, more engagement. I love working with this company. I love what this company stands for. I love what they do. And then that ripple effect right, right throughout other organizations as it happens and that we create more meaningful work and we create a business other than just, hey, I sell more widgets. But, you know, I'm truly having an impact on on what we do and, and everybody, this is an organisation that everybody wants to work with, work for and interact with. And and that's how we transform self, company and, and world.
0: Absolutely. And I think that's going to be super important, even more important than ever going forward with the idea that our workplace is now in our homes. A lot of organisations may actually see that as an evolution in the way that they move forward. So, that integration between personal life and work life, the more closely that aligned that is to an individual sense of meaning and purpose, the more likely that person will, will choose to want to participate in that organisation and work with that organisation towards its uh, its own goals. Rodan, I'll, I'll cover off uh, with a question that I'd like to uh, end the podcast with, and that is to get a sense from you on what your vision is around the impacts of organisational alignments, and in the way in which healthcare technology and, and and even the provision of healthcare will be offered in five to 10 years time from the point of view of transform, you know, if, if you had it your way, what would organisations be generally leaning towards or doing over the next five to 10 years?
1: Well, one of the things that we, we say to almost every potential prospect and people we meet is that we want to work with organisations that have a purpose and a vision that's bigger than themselves. And when you do that, you let go of the ego. So it's not about, oh, we're number one, we're the best at what we do, or I have this much in revenue as a company. When you look at it from that way, you start to to look at more purpose, more meaning. And and if every organization started to do that, they would understand what they're trying to achieve, what their BHAG is, what their mission is. And that in itself will open up this possibility of, of where the gaps are and how they really Serve their key constituents, which is both their employees and their customers. So that's I'm going to leave your audience with with that as as a as a kind of BHAG or a checkpoint within with the organisation. It could be small, it could be a, a an SME, it could be a large multi multinational. When you start to think about something other than yourselves, what's the purpose and what you're trying to create? Where do you want to go? the Legacy mission, whatever you want to call it, um, it helps you kind of understand. How you can get there and what the impact you have, rather than just being sort of egocentric.
0: So, rising above the self, having a—I uh, I might just unpack that acronym: a big, hairy, audacious goal. Is that uh, the yes. the reference there? Fantastic! And yeah. uh, aligning that with um with a meaning and purpose that is uh, way bigger than than self.
1: Yeah, exactly. Just something that's bigger than yourself. And when you start to do that, you start to to connect. A with a tribe of people that, that believe what you believe, and second, you still connect with your customers and your employees on a deeper level.
0: Terrific! Thank you very much, Ronan, for taking the time out today and having a chat with me about alignment of uh, self, business, and world, and having the confidence, or let's say the courage, to analyze your own beliefs or limiting beliefs to pursue something that is meaningful and align with a higher purpose. Thank you, Annie. Thanks for listening. This podcast is produced in collaboration with Health Tech X, where we are working toward a world of integrated digital health empowerment for all people. If you'd like more info on how to get involved, head over to the website, healthtechx.com.au. Or if you have any feedback about the show, you can reach out to me directly on LinkedIn, Instagram, or email by following the links in this episode's show notes. And finally, Don't forget to subscribe to Reimagining Healthcare in your podcast app. And if you like what you heard, leave us a five-star review. It really helps other people find the show. I'm your host, Yanni Sopanos, and I'll speak to you in our next episode.